Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. Joining us here in just a little bit will be Chris Seals and John Sharpell of Still Austin Whiskey Company down in Texas. But before we get to them, don't forget to check out our Drinking Buddies Club where you can win awesome monthly giveaways. All you got to do is sign up and it's free. Just go to any of our social media pages at Hops Spirits, all one word, and click the link in our bio, follow the directions. It takes but a minute. You can win some amazing prizes. And don't forget, also on our social media pages and our YouTube, you can check out our Give It a Try 60-second highlight, which just a few weeks ago I did the Still Austin mus- the Musician highlight. Uh, so you need to check that out as we talk about it here in just a second. And guys, Chris Seals, the CEO of Still Austin, and John Chappell, the head distiller of Still Austin, welcome in. Thanks, Jonathan. Now, as I I teased you guys a little bit beforehand, I gave you a little heads up about what my first question was going to be. And this week, I remembered to say it correctly. Last couple weeks, I got got a little off cue and had to throw it in a little later. But one tough question, what did you guys want to be when you were growing up? John, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, Yeah, I mean, so I honestly actually struggled with this. Uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I was in high school and um, I didn't know if I wanted to go to college or you know pursue something in a business world or whatever it may be um, and I, I, I really kind of stumbled upon and I was very fortunate to um, find a job at the uh, Wark Valley Winery um, and Distillery and I worked there just um, working from the ground up um, mowing lawns and doing certain things still trying to figure out what to do and I'm like man like I gotta I gotta do something with my life I just don't know what to do with <laughs> it yet and I was that I was that I was stuck like I just wasn't I didn't have the like oh I'm, I'm going to college to do this you know so that's that's was my dilemma but as I had that dilemma um working at the winery and um slowly working my way up and um uh they owned three different businesses the winery um uh, the distillery and a cider company. Um, and I slowly worked my way into doing bottling and packaging at Dockstraff Hard Cider. And that was, I found really neat, you know, getting apple juice in and uh, fermenting and filtering and cleaning kegs and running the bottling line. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And then years just go by real fast. And um, I ran that facility for a little while and uh, at that time Black Dirt Distillery was being built into which is now the largest distillery in New York State um, uh, and, and then I you know it was as nonchalant as I was at Dockstrap and Jason my old boss he was like you ready to move over to your new job and I was like yeah, uh, yeah sure I, I made mash on a very small scale just filling up 250 gallon totes to overnight doing a 2500 gallon cook and running a 60 foot column still over the course of four or five years and I really fell in love with the industry of of making alcohol in general after that but um, really distilling was was my passion and I just fell in love with it and um, I would say I really started my career when I made the move to um, Austin Texas moving from my home state and um, working at Still Austin and fortunate enough to become the head distiller here and, um, you know, do, you know, experience everything that we're doing here. And, um, so I kind of just fell into, this is what I want, what do I want to be when I grow up? 
you know, this is, this is it, you know, and it's been a 10 year journey now, but, uh, you know, haven't looked back ever since this is, this is what I will be doing. <laughs> That's pretty, and I think John, you did a pretty good job on that one. I, I'm not too <laughs> different, uh, honestly, that, um, I, I was a, like a really creative kid. I, I was kind of, I was, you know, like in, uh, I guess going all the way back to middle school, I was the, you know, theater kid, arts kid. Uh, don't, I, I think maybe at some point I thought I would do something in uh, performing arts. I don't know that I knew quite what. Uh, I, I, I think that it, I, I also thought I would probably do something in business. I, I, I come from a family that does a lot of stuff in business. And so it seemed like that was pretty natural for me. Uh, sounds boring. and in saying it, but I always thought I'd do something in, in that was like, I had a little element of entrepreneurship or creativity to it. And, um, you know, for a long time, I was, a, a like, I, I ended up uh, going to UT, got a um, degree, went further on to uh, University of Houston, got a, a master's over there and it ended up working for a long time as an economist, uh, which is kind of a jack of all trades. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, that, that, that's actually good training for being in the whiskey industry where you got to be even more of a jack of all trades. You gotta be able to do a lot of stuff. So I think that the creative aspect ended up being, you know, kind of useful more than, I, you know, more than I would have expected. So, yeah. There you go. I, I, I've always said, you know, you guys are artists. It's just, you're using a different medium than, than most. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I thought I would potentially own a business that went out real quick when I took macroeconomics and about fell asleep in my college class. Um, and then I kind of went to what I, I think always wanted to grow up being was on ESPN or sports center and, um, quickly found out that there's not a lot of money in sports talk. Um, so I then went to a place where there's just a smidge more money and that was sports reporting for a newspaper. (laughs) And, uh, uh, now, now I've, uh, gone over to the quote unquote dark side and, and PR and, and, and have a nice little side hobby with this podcast. But, uh, but yeah, you just never know how, how the journey is going to go and what might change your route along the way. Yeah, you really don't just got to go with the punches, go with the flow. Exactly. Now, now Chris, for, for you, um, you, I was reading you and your father and a couple co-founders, uh, launched still Austin whiskey company. And how, how did that come about? Cause I kind of, what little bit I read, I, I enjoyed the story. Oh yeah. So, um, the way, I mean, the way I got into this, I, I was working as an economist at that time, uh, this is going back about eight years ago and I'd worked into kind of doing a lot of feasibility studies, uh, primarily for governments or, for, you know, big projects, things that a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, so that was kind of a, a focus of mine was kind of what are all the risks involved, uh, in doing this thing that people are thinking about doing. And my dad came to me and said he wanted to, he, he kind of retired about that time. It was kind of going through a retirement crisis, uh, figuring out well, what, what's he going to do now? Uh, and he said he wanted to start a, a craft whiskey distillery and he asked me if I would help him. Uh, and so that's actually kind of how I got into it. I, I, I honestly can say that like, you know, you look at a lot of numbers on when you're doing a feasibility study, you, you usually kind of kind of get a, a pretty good idea pretty quick if something's got a lot of risk to it or, or not. And 
this was the worst idea that I'd ever seen come across my desk. It was like solidly terrible. Uh, there's, there's like, uh, you know, you know, we're going to start working with farmers and grow grains and, uh, you know, build a whiskey distillery and start aging it here in Texas. Uh, you know, wait a long time. Hopefully it tastes good. And, uh, then, we're gonna try to build a brand and try to sell some in a bottle. That just sounds like a terrible idea. And so uh, I, I originally signed up for this as a kind of like, basically kind of like a, a way of helping my dad cope with his retirement crisis and basically spend time together. Uh, he wants to spend time with me, let's, let's do it and we'll, uh, go visit a bunch of distilleries and have a good time and drink a lot of whiskey and travel and all that sort of stuff. And, and then pretty soon we'll get to that point where it's time to come to our senses and decide this is a terrible idea, but we don't have to get there too fast. And so that's kind of what I signed up for. And, um, we did that and we started to really fall in love with kind of the, the idea of, uh, making something that was genuine to Austin. Uh, we're a unique city. We're like, not like anything else uh, in, in the United States, I think, and uh, have our own point of view. And because it was a legacy kind of project to begin with, uh, it just seemed like uh, we, we could just do it the way we wanted to. And uh, fortunately, along the way, uh, state laws in Texas changed, uh, and that made it more feasible to open a craft whiskey distillery. And so we did. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. So that's kind of how I got it. I, I love that. You never know how, how things will go. And yeah, you, you know, when you think of, of long-term investments, you know, whiskey's long-term for, for, for sure, uh, in terms of uh, letting it all age and, and so forth. Um, I also want to know, like, I'm sure your past experiences, life experiences, whether it was being somewhat on a farm, things like that. Um, how did those influence you and in, in what ended up becoming still Austin? Yeah, for me, um, so my great-grandfather homesteaded a farm and we still operate it today. Uh, and so I had a, a little bit of farming background and not really, I, not more on the operation side than actually, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of summers, a lot of winters uh, uh, as a kid out in the field uh, uh, helping with the farm. So I didn't mind getting my hands dirty too. Uh, but it gave me like a lot of appreciation for uh you know, the things that we grow here, what makes our culture different, um, uh, the things that we eat and drink, you have strong connection to it. Um, and I, I think that like, that's one of the cool things, you know, you're talking about being uh, creative. Um, there, there's like, when you're making a, a new product that has not been made before in your region, um, and you're working with your local grains. Um, I mean, it's a journey of learning. It's not like a, a craft that you can master. Uh, it's more of a craft that you're making as you go, kind of building the bridge as you, as you walk on it. And um, it, you're, you're, you're trying to kind of figure it out. And we're really lucky that we have like people like John that have, have experience in other uh, regions of the United States or uh, other people on our team from regions of the world that we got to rely on some of their experiences. Um, uh, but it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's a creative journey for sure. 
uh, just trying to uh, work with our local grain and bring out those flavors. And, and John, for you, you're you're a New York guy. How did, how did you end up in Texas? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm a New York guy, but I'm not I'm not really a fan of the cold weather. So mm. I always had an exit strategy of wanting to move down south. Um, and I just you know one day. Now, maybe not it was going to be Texas, but like South was what I wanted uh, for sure. Um, and I, I started looking for jobs and uh, saw Still Austin. And, you know, there's there was a lot of distilling jobs, but there weren't too many column distilling jobs. Um, and column is really where I have my experience and what I really enjoy doing. Um, so I saw Still Austin's job post and... Uh, you know, applied and moved moved on down here. Probably to about a month's time. It was it was actually a pretty crazy journey. I I, I applied and kind of just like oh let's just, let's just test the waters. I'll never forget it. And I got an email in like three hours, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And I was on the phone with Chris Seals that night, and then I remember him saying, when can you fly down? And I'm like, uh, I mean, just uh. I was like, send me flight times, send me flight times. I was down there in a week and I was here in a month. And I was like, all right, well, cool. This is, <laughs> this is what's happened. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, it sounds like you guys don't wait around at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can, yeah, get things done. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, now, you kind of mentioned, you know, the column still and, and so forth. And that is a perfect segue into the, the Nancy. Yeah. Can you guys explain what that is and why did you go that route? Because that's a 42 foot tall scottish made still why 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 that i can i can tell you a little bit about like how we how we came to it and then john can tell you a little bit more about like i don't think we really appreciated how special she is until john kind of started to work with her um but you know we you know we we'd been um you know visiting a lot of different places and kind of had seen pot still distillation at a lot of them and that was kind of more along the line of our original vision uh, mainly, you know, we're, we're two, you know, um, at that time, six highly unqualified people uh, trying to start a distillery. And so, you know, we were just kind of going off of what we'd seen uh, from a lot of craft distilleries. And uh, we, we brought in a guy, uh, Mike Delavante. Uh, he's one of the most uh, experienced uh, master distillers in North America. Uh, and uh, we asked him to help us to design the, the distillery and we, we told him our dream of trying to make something that has a, a flavor from our place and kind of gives us a sense of who we are as people. And uh, he, he said, well, you know, you, you, you're just not going to get it from a pot still. Uh, if you really want to be able to bring out the flavor uh, of your grains and your place, it, you really should be doing it on a column still. We were like, oh God, that's just so different. Uh, that's just like, we were, we were so worried about like, this doesn't feel very like crafty. And like, he was like, this will give you so much more control. And you know, one of the things that I think, um, you know, we kind of went through a little bit of an, like a mini identity crisis right around then. Like, are, are we a, um, are we trying to be like all these other craft distilleries with their beautiful copper pot stills or are we truly independent 
are we different from from other folks? And you know, it was just like one of those moments where we just decided, and I'll never forget one of my co-founders, Joanna. She said, you know, you we just if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we just gotta own it. And uh, um, and you know, that's kind of the spirit of Austin, Texas, in and of itself. Like. You know, individuality, what makes you different is awesome. You know, high diversity, all that sort of stuff is part of our DNA. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to own it. We're going to be different. And uh, it has made all the difference. Uh, it's a beautiful still. It's made in Scotland by a company called Forsyths. Uh, it's one of a kind. Like, there's, there is no other column still, uh, certainly not one made by Forsyths in North America. Uh, but no other one that's quite like this. It's really crafty uh, and gives us a lot of bells and whistles. Uh, I mean, John could probably tell you more about like the all the the the, the pieces that that Nan. She's named Nancy after uh, a, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but um, uh, she's she's named after the lead character, and so you can kind of get a sense of you know what she might look like, how how tall she is. Uh, but uh, John can probably tell you more about like you know how how she works and kind of what we're able to what we're able to do with Nancy. Yeah. Uh, so like what Chris was saying, um, it's completely one of one of one, completely custom designed for um, the things that we wanted to achieve. Um, couple couple differences with say uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to speak off my experiences. The Vendome that I worked off of, it had um, you know uh, say. 25 30 stripping trays but then it had just three rectifying trays um and then a doubler to finish the product kind of like a pot still um so stripping trays you're uh stripping the alcohol out of the mash that's kind of just like the raw form of the distillate then it goes into the rectifying section that's another redistillation piece of it redistilling it redefining it um, enhancing those flavors and increasing the proof and then dropping it down to a doubler um, you're doing that process again um, we don't have a doubler uh, we have um, more rectifying trays so we have 12 rectifying trays and say those same 25 stripping trays um, and then you know beer preheater uh, condenser but then we have a vent condenser that strips all of the methanol and, and uh, the heads, um, all of that stuff, uh, that nasty byproduct that you don't want into a separate tank continuously. So it's not a cut in the beginning and the end or, um, you know, a, uh, vapors blowing off inside the doubler. It's a constant cut uh, every single, every, you know, every minute of the day that the, the column's being ran and I really think that puts a massive difference in the product that we make and the proofs that we're able to distill off of. Um, you know, off the Vendome, you would want to distill at that legal limit, 155, 160, because it's a heavy, heavy product. And I really feel that um, pot stills, there's no wrong way about doing this either, by the way. It's just, you know, being, you mm -hmm. know, ours is different and, um, and you know, just my opinion based upon uh, pot stills and different columns um, from my experiences, um, you know, distilling at 155, 160 proof, it was extremely heavy and you have to put it away in a barrel for a certain amount of time just to get rid of those impurities. It's not a finished product whatsoever. Um, and uh, the, the column here, Nancy, 
it makes such a delicious clean product right off the bat of the still um, it, it's super flavorful it's very sweet it's got a, a lot of corn and rye characteristics I mean it's just it's kind of wild and and you're distilling it you could distill all the way down to 120 proof 130 proof um, and it is very very clean and I think that you know it really helps with putting barrels away and kind of letting the barrel do the work at this point and let the barrel complement the product that we put into it instead of you know at times you have to let it rest and you know take away some of those impurities we're we're just complementing the barrel with what we're doing um, and it gives us a very wide range of things that we can do also you know not only can we um, make bourbon uh, you can go as far as uh, it's designed to also make rum uh, which we haven't done yet, but it is designed to make rum. Um, you can, and the thing that we do use is you can distill from really 120 proof all the way up to 190 proof. Um, and you can pull um, a continuous tails cut off the lower trays to make it a very neutral product. Um, so one of the examples that we do uh, for, for the naturalist our gin we make our own base um, and it's we're very rye uh, driven distillery so when we wanted to make the gin we we're like what can be different instead of you know sourcing GNS we're really into the whole uh, Texas grown grains everything Texas do everything in-house like let's make our own base I mean the column can do it like why not do it you know so we landed on a 70% rye 30% corn and uh, pulling all the way off at that top 12th tray because we want it fairly neutral, but I really wanted to capture some of that rye characteristic. Um, really didn't want it to be super, super juniper forward. I wanted it to be a craft gin. So we were able to pull off the 12th tray, uh, it's still about 185 proof instead of that traditional 190, 192, get some of that characteristic out of it. And uh, we were able to make a really awesome product and, the, the naturalists are gin, the base off the column. So it's a very, very multi-versatile uh, still. Um, it's just a ton of fun to work with. I was going to say, it sounds like that. And, and then uh, another thing that's kind of unique for you all is that if you choose to do the, uh, the slow reduction, water reduction, uh, I'm guessing that's another way to just make sure you guys are catching the flavors you all want. I mean, why, why go that way when not a lot like to because it's time and labor in, intensive? Yeah, well, uh, that's another thing I learned when I came down here, meet, meeting uh, Nancy Fraley and um, taking a couple of her classes. And, you know, uh, when I first met her, she she pitched, you know, you know, what 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 I do with all my clients, you know, they do we do. Um, it's called Elevage. You're raising your the, the term really is like you're raising your barrels from birth to maturity, you know, and every step of the way is so critical. And inside that is slow water reduction. Um, and she was saying, you know, um, the risk of spafonification is a real thing. And if you just in general pull out a two-year-old bourbon or whenever the, whenever you decide that it's done and you're at barrel strength and say you want a bottle tomorrow and you just proof it down right away, um, you really have the potential to ruin your product um, by just not letting the water and the alcohol bind well. And... Um, 
you know, it was very interesting to me at first, but then when you really do taste a product that was one slow water reduct, reduced, um, just if you take a bottle out of a barrel and it's 118 proof and you proof it down that day and then you take a bottle and you proof it down very slowly, that's a dramatic difference. But we take it a step further to just guarantee that we're putting out the best possible product um, this is like the ultimate way to do slow water reduction is doing everything in barrel. So once you decide like, okay, for example, the musician, musician's two years old. We're really happy with how it tastes at cash strength. Um, 118 proofs are cash strength. Let's start reducing it down. Um, from 114 up to 125, the legal limit of, of um, your barrel entry proofs, you're getting a lot of the oak characteristic from the, from the, from the barrel. So if it's that its whole entire life, you're not really able for it to, um, you're not giving it the ability to touch the water, water soluble sugar range, uh, which is 114 and below. So we will initially start a two year old barrel. We'll open it up, proof it down, uh, four proof points to 114 proof, and then we'll let it sit for a month. Um, and then so on and so forth. We'll go from 114 to 110 to 106. Um, and it's about a four to six month process. And we let it sit at every single proof point for a month. Um, and we're really extracting those, um, those flavors that you want out of your bourbon, the vanilla, uh, the, the toffee, all of your fruits and you know dates and figs and like all those sweet characteristics that are really hard to get if you're not hitting those proof points of the, of the wood. Um, so that's a, that's like a key thing for us. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to do that forever in, in barrel. <laughs> we'll, we're going to figure it out for sure. It's, it's, it's something that you can't stop at this point. You know, it's too good. And, uh, there's just, there's absolutely no reason to, if there's a will, there's a way and we'll figure it out, whether it's, you know, more labor or whatever, you know, it's, you know, that's just what we do. Well, and it comes through in the in the product. And uh, another thing that I find interesting too is, you know, for for you, John, you worked obviously in a colder colder climate in terms of distilling. Texas is not normally cold. It can get cold on occasion. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, how how was it going down there, and what's it like working with the Texas heat? Because I'm sure that uh, changes characteristics as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting and it really opened my eyes to why it's so fun uh, being in the craft world and just really truly realizing that everyone's product is truly unique to their region to their climate and that's what makes craft distilling so much fun first off um but yeah it's a it's a massive difference where uh people think like a two-year-old bourbon's young and yeah i can agree with you in some climates it is but in other climates it's really not um, barrels uh, typically go dormant under 45 degrees, so they're not pumping in and out of the out of the wood when it's winter time. They're just they're just complacent, and not really much is going on. Well, if not really much is going on for six months out of the year, it makes sense that you need to have a four-year-old bourbon to be mature. Well, here you really have to be very reactive and uh, very careful monitoring the barrels because they're aging really 12 months out of the year. So you definitely, in my opinion, um, can definitely put out a product at a, at a younger age and it be to the par of a four-year-old product. Now, 
on the flip side of that, you know, I've always been asked, well, how long can it go? And it's like, well, that's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out, but I'm being reactive and, um, you know, not just, just, uh, doing exactly what I do, uh, you know, distilling the same way, you know, at first we distilled a little higher cause we wanted to get a bourbon out faster. And now we're working our way down, trying to get it a little heavier because we know that these are going to be put away for years and years and years to come. Um, so now I distill instead of say 150, I can go down to 125, 130, make it a heavier product. And now instead of barreling at 118 proof, I'm barreling at 116 proof. Um, I've noticed that it's going up about two to four proof points over the course of two to three years. So if I'm at 118 and I'm opening up a barrel and it's at 122, I want to open up a barrel in four years and it'd be 120. And then I know I still can do my slow water reduction program and um, not make it just a totally you know, just like an oak forward, you know, oak bomb, spice bomb, whatever you want to call it. So definitely trying to be reactive and put them away at a, at a, at a lower proof and distill at a lower proof. And, you know, the slow water reduction is just such a good, um, safe haven to have, especially in Texas. Yeah. I was going to say that that's gotta be nice to have a, that in your back pocket. And now Chris, you know, when we're talking about the operations there, I know one thing that you, you guys prided yourself on is sustainability and, and multiple ways, um, zero, even zero waste. Why was that such an important part of this whole process of launching and then kind of what you even do do now with everything? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm curious too, like with the other distilleries that you've uh, that you've interviewed, has sustainability been a, a part of their DNA? I'll, I'll answer your question, but I'll I'll ask one first. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably not. I think the only one that has, to my knowledge, that I've talked to, and I haven't talked to all of them, or or asked them all, was a was a brewery, um, okay. but they're known as, as Athletic Brewing, and they do a thing called Two for Trails, and uh, you can kind of figure out what what their model is. So. Um, as part of their DNA that they talk about, only one, and that was a brewery, to my knowledge, that I remember. Yeah, um, for us, okay, this kind of came very naturally. For about a decade, I was the in-house economist for Eco Canada, uh, or uh, it was on contract, but I was essentially working for the Environmental Association of Canada, uh, and so I I learned and got exposed to a lot about uh, uh, operating a business in a way that minimizes your uh, environmental uh, impact. Uh, And also, you know, it has, uh, uh, you know, it's improving the quality of life for uh, uh, the people that that are around you, kind of more of an ethically uh, operated business as well. And uh, so, for us, uh, we, you know, we're here in Austin. Austin's one of the greenest cities in America. Uh, we have cared about our environment when when it was sort of a weird thing to be worried about, and uh, it's kind of put us on the on the front edge of, of trying to be a more sustainable and green city. Uh, and uh, so we had some, you know, some good environmental uh, regulation here that kind of helps with kind of keeping up standards. But we really want to go far beyond that and really just do a spectacular job and, and be a you know a model and now you 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 can kind of see that even with some of the big guys beginning to uh 
you know, uh, uh, copy our ideas. But we, we work with a group of energy engineers uh, first at a UT. Um, uh, it, they uh, helped us to uh, kind of design the distillery to minimize uh, our energy uh, and our water uh, use. Uh, we wanted to uh, keep those at an absolute minimum. And uh, there's a lot of special aspects to the way that the facility is designed. And really through the savings that we ha we save a lot of money, we, we got a low energy bill, which is really nice. Uh, we, we don't mind saving money. Uh, but it also gives us the ability to spend a little bit more on the grain uh, and be able to source. I mean, we support 100% we support family-owned farms here in Texas, full stop. We don't buy grains from anybody other than uh, farmers here in our state. And uh, that we, we, we like to work on projects where they grow uh, grain varieties that are uh, a little bit more interesting, have more flavor qualities uh, to them, are more indigenous to our area. Uh, some of the projects we've got going now, um, they may take a while, it may take a couple decades before they really come into their own, but they, they really help to increase the biodiversity uh, of our region that helps our pollinators and um, we have a lot of focus on uh, operating sustainably at the farming level. Uh, all of our farmers, uh, you know, face issues with soil quality, water shortage, uh, irrigation, um, being, being very, very conservative uh, in, in managing the land so that it can continue to be productive for the next couple hundred years. And um, so it, really from, from, from the ground up, really, we, we, we look there, uh, we, we, we do everything uh, from a zero waste uh, 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 philosophy at the distillery. So we don't, uh, we don't have to throw anything in the trash. Uh, we uh, uh, give all of our spent grains to, uh, we've got a number of local ranchers that come and pick up uh, spent grains a couple times a day and feed it to their cattle. Uh, so that it kind of helps to uh, return and it start, starts at the farm, kind of comes back to the farm. Uh, but uh, we look at every single stage of our business and our impacts uh, uh, out in the field, everything with an environmental lens, just trying to, you know, be good stewards. Um, and of course, everybody, you know, loves to support somebody who's, you know, uh, just trying to do the right thing. And, um, you know, we that that's just kind of the way that we, the way that we started it. And it's just become a little part of our, part of our DNA. Uh, I was gonna say, and, and you kind of take that, that Texas mentality there of, you know, from grain, from grain to glass and, and even the labels on, on, on your, your glasses. And, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I know that you also just re, re rebranded your gin, but you have the musician out now that has a, a lovely label and, and so forth. So you want to talk about how you came up, up with those ideas and wanted to go that route? Yeah, the well, so I mean, like uh, it, it what once again, just kind of like a, a, a continuation of the same uh, um, kind of basic idea, you know, focusing on local grains, uh, doing everything from grain to glass ourselves here locally. Um, we really we have a very vibrant community uh, here in Austin. We're different uh, than than a lot of places and we've got uh, a very vibrant uh, art scene, uh, an, obviously an incredible music scene. Um, and so we, you know, now that we really felt like we had made something that was a, a genuine, beautiful spirit, 
genuine work of art and the flavor and quality, the roundness, the finesse, uh, all of these things that had come out of our, all of our ingredients and things that we have here and our own passion as well. Uh, we wanted to kind of tap our local community again. And uh, so we, uh, for the uh, bourbon, we uh, uh, ask uh, Mark Burkhart, uh, who's uh, um, he's been the Texas State artist. He's uh, he's here local, um, uh, very very accomplished uh, uh, painter and artist. Uh, but we ask him if he would paint for us a series of portraits of Austinites. And of Texans that would give a sense of who we are and what makes us special, and uh, what he did after after tasting uh, what what became uh, the musician is is he painted um, one snapshot of kind of the mythology of Austin, which is our musicians, and she's you can see her on the label. She's she's beautiful. She's sort of. Uh, unusual in that she's playing her own hair. Uh, <laughs> if you notice the yeah, yeah, I just I just noticed that when I looked at the yeah, bottle. A little mystical oh, aspect of, of of her, and it's kind of um, uh, she surprised us in a lot of ways that we didn't really quite expect. And being unexpected is definitely it's a wonderful thing um, when it's beautiful. And uh, she she surprised us, I think maybe more than anything in that she's possibly the only woman on the whiskey aisle. There, there's, you know, Jack Daniels, there's Jim Beam, there's uh, a million different male-oriented whiskeys, but she's a beautiful lady. And the, I think that that kind of speaks to what Mark um, first experienced uh, in, in the spirit itself. And I think that bringing out that, that piece, you know, um, it's, it's, our musicians are just kind of like the soul of our city. We do, we do a lot. I mean, we have live music capital of the world, but it's also like very, very close to our hearts here. And, uh, it's a, a lot of love, like for music, for live music, but also for our musicians. And I couldn't think of a better uh, symbol uh, to to represent what we aspire to be. Um, it, it's always a, a humbling undertaking to try to take on sort of the spirit of your city and your place, and and try to represent that as uh, as best you possibly can. And I think Mark he just poured his heart and soul in, into her and uh, um, we hope you enjoy her as much as we do. I think she's beautiful. <laughs> and um, with the, uh, the, the second in the series with the, the naturalist, uh, which is our gin, um, he, he painted a second portrait of our, of our, of our nature loving naturalists of Austin and part of why we're such a green city. Um, you might, I don't know if you if you have a bottle. I've got I've got one here. I think. Um, See, he always comes prepared. <laughs> yeah, she's um, she's surrounded by uh, all of the botanicals that are in the gin, and she uh, um, 
doesn't appear to be wearing any clothing, uh, which uh, I think that there's something to be said about, you know, just kind of being a little bit more free spirited. And um, the, I think that's part of who we are as well. And I think there's another, another expression of uh, what we value and uh, treasure here in Austin. I think we're, we're home to the only state park that is also a nude beach uh, and in, in, our, in our state and uh, Hippie Hollow. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's just something that people, everyone here just loves. Being out in nature, being on the water, um, being out hiking, just taking in all the beauty that surrounds us here. So and it's, a, it's a very, very green city. It's, it's spectacular. Well, and, and I, I did get to try the, the the bourbon, the musician. Like I said, it was on our, our highlight a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it's one of those things when you read, I feel like any whiskey drinker can read and go two years, uh-oh, you know, or, or be nervous. I don't want to say uh-oh because they can be nervous because everyone thinks, oh, it might be too young. But I didn't really get that. And I, I thought it was, it was a very flavorful two-year-old. And I've only had maybe one or two others that have I can ever say that about uh, so far. Um, and and I, I really enjoyed it. What, what's been the response and what's it been like making making this? Because I know it's it's finally the baby's finally out in the in, in the world. <laughs> well, John can probably tell you because he's about to have a baby. But I, I'm a parent uh, as well, and I have three kids. And I this is not my only flavorful three two year old. The, the you know, two year olds definitely have like character to them, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it the the um, the response. From the community, and, and John could probably talk more about like the the whiskey nerd community, they kind of with serious whiskey community. But um, it's been spectacular. It's yeah. been way better than we thought um, it it would be, and I think it's because um, it's so genuine. Like the there's the, we we never cut a corner. Uh, we never. You know, a lot of a lot of distilleries like to buy whiskey from other places and blend it into what they make, and that just didn't really ever. Um, it just didn't seem like it was our path. And I think being independent and honoring yourself and what makes your product and who you are different, it's made all the difference. People like that. Everyone wants to be proud of who they are. And uh, I think that um, taking such great pains to make the very best, it, it comes across in the story, but people typically don't just buy a bottle. Like they tend to buy it pretty regularly uh, <laughs> once they've tasted it uh, because it's, it's delicious um, and, uh, and familiar to us. But John could probably talk to you too about like how it, you know, how the musician compares with with others, um, I don't know, John. What are your? Uh, you probably add more to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, like what Chris was saying. I mean, it. it tr- there, I've I've never, you know, I've never seen a place, a distillery that where there's truly, at least to our knowledge, there's absolutely no shortcut at all. Like taking every single step, every single precaution, um, really trying to perfect it. Um, you know, what's fun about, you know, perfecting, trying to perfect the craft, you're never actually going to perfect the craft, but it's always going to keep you on your toes. It's always going to keep you really interested, um, keep you engaged in trying to make the best possible product. Um, not only just me, but my whole entire team, 
Um, they're just extremely dedicated individuals um, that have the same common goal as I and everybody else. Um, but, you know, on the distilling team specifically, you know, every, everyone um, understands the story, the goal, um, and really wants to make a, a extremely good product and really impress the public and have everybody really enjoy themselves. And um, I really do think it shows. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I just want to, just really want to keep it up and keep it going, you know, but it's, it's very exciting what we have going on it really is. And the feedback that I've gotten is, uh, I, people are very happy. They're very happy and they are, you know, you know, you do get the whole two year old thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually kind of fun cause it really started out with the one year and it's like, no, okay. So where I can draw the line is that, yeah, no, one year's young. It is, sure. But we were just like kind of giving a tease of like, listen, this is what's putting away. And that one year even can pull up pretty good to some older uh, mm-hmm. products, for sure, 100%. Now, I'll, I think it's obvious to say that a one-year-old is young um, and having people taste that and they're like, there's literally no way. I'm like, no, it's like, it's like 12 months, that's it you know, so water reduction, all the whole, everything that we've done. And it's like, just wait for the two year, you know, and it really has evolved to a whole nother level of complexity. Um, you know, and not to jump the gun, but you know, forward thinking, I'm super excited for three year bottled and bond. Um, it's just, you know, it's just going to increase in complexity. Um, and you know, just become that much more mature and just be, very exciting to see how how she evolves but it's it's great it's a lot of, what a lot of- oh sorry john i was going to jump in uh to ask a question to jonathan how did you receive the musician uh so you're like asking us how people are enjoying it i'm kind of curious <laughs> about your I, I, like your- i said it I, I haven't had a ton of two-year-olds i mean i, I have have recently um doing this um and i, I really liked it i i thought it was for what its age is, it does not taste like its age. Um, and I, I've, I, to me, I can only say that about one other one that comes to my head, uh, and they do something different than most others. And that's kind of what you guys do in terms of your processes. And and I think that's why you guys actually get a very flavorful and complex two-year-old. Uh, you know, uh, you know, instead of you know maybe an immature uh, acting, uh, two year old, um, <laughs> so, so to speak, um, as a dad to a two and a half year old, who's a little sassy, um, you know, I, I kind of understand how you can with, with kids, you know, talk about your bourbon that way. Um, but no, I like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and, and it's definitely one of the ones that, um, if I can get my hands on again, I, I will definitely do that. I like it, like her. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and the, uh, before, before you know we we get toward the very very end here, I, I want to at least touch very quickly. While we do a lot of bourbon, whiskey, beer, and, and cocktails, um, I do want to touch on the Naturalist because you know you guys just rebranded it um, with the, the new new bottle and so forth. Um, it's the first rye based gin made in Texas, um, and you also were named, uh, I believe, last year as the Texas Gin Distillery of the Year. Um, so that had to be be pretty cool. So can you just talk a little bit about the Naturalist? Because I'm sure that was the first product you guys could get on the on the market, and and that's probably the original baby. Yeah, the Naturalist, uh, the the, the um, 
The gin itself, uh, you know, as John spoke to, it was a labor of love in in creating it. Um, the you know not not many gins have the focus that a whiskey has. Um, whiskeys try to bring out the natural flavors from the grain and the oak and the the region, these sorts of things. And uh, so the botanicals uh, that go into gin usually tell a little bit of, um, you know, a story. But as a whiskey maker, we wanted to kind of focus on the base uh, of it, like this, the core, the solid foundation. And so, um, you know, picking, so the, our, our rye, as John was saying before, that we grow here uh, has a delicious quality to it. Um, uh, the brassetto, uh, sounds like kind of like bread, uh, but same. It's a it's a it's a rye that you might use in baking rye bread, and the uh, the brassetto it it has a delicious kind of uh, spice and natural sweetness to it, and so picking botanicals that sort of accentuate uh, those characteristics and and complement and create balance and all of that stuff. Uh, but putting that as the kind of the the, the starting point, um, it's it, it took a while doing it. I don't know how many batches we went through, but I know it took about a year before we finally kind of got the formulation where we felt like it had the balance and, and flavor uh, and character that we were looking for. And we used some aspects of the slow reduction uh, uh, with it as well and really felt like we had created a beautiful uh, 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 charming, um, if even alluring, uh, uh, kind of, uh, work of art with what's in the bottle. And then, you know, um, with the, uh, with, with the, uh, kind of giving her a little bit new, uh, new digs, uh, it's just another, uh, way of kind of continuing to elevate the, the quality of what we have here and kind of what we what we value and and valuing our own uh community uh and and who who we are as people and so uh i just think that um one of the you know with every single thing you're talking about your kids and you will come to see this that their personalities kind of evolve and develop and then they really at one part they really start to shine and you can really feel who they are really coming through. And I think that um, uh, kind of getting a little bit of the naturalist's uh, uh, essence coming out in the in Mark's uh, portrait uh, really just kind of brings her home. Uh, it's a, uh, just a, uh, a beautiful evolution uh, of what was already a really delicious product. So um, that, that's kind of, I guess, the story behind her. Yeah, it's, it's really fun too. For um, I think it's a very good product for gin enthusiasts and people that aren't so much into gin. Um, and you know, I, I'm definitely more of a whiskey lover than I am a gin lover. But uh, I really wanted to try to create something off the base and um, with the uh, botanicals that we use. I wanted to give it give it a, give people a chance that don't like gin and talk to a lot of people, and they're like. 
I'm like, oh, you, you tried the musician? Oh, yeah, I, I love it. I'm like, have you tried our gin? Oh, I'm not a gin person. Like, d don't even, like, want to try it. And I'm like, just, I'm like, seriously, just give it a shot because, you know, I was the same way, so I tried to develop something that was, like, really different than a very juniper-forward, London dry, just, like, gin, you know? And I would say almost every single person that I've talked to, you know, they're like, oh, I, I really like that. You know, I like that kind of like that's, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's very different. Um, and, and also it's kind of cool cause it's 90 proof too. Um, so a little different on, on that end, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very neat product. And, and for you, John, uh, I want to ask this question. What's it been like kind of being mentored and working with uh, folks like uh, Nancy Fraley and, and Mike Delavante? What's that been like? Um, I mean that that's like a that's like a dream come true for really to be honest with you, any distiller that you know really wants to achieve stuff at a high level doing doing things in this craft I mean uh, you know it's it's quite incredible honestly I, I never thought you know I mean the Chris seals and the owners that they like I said with like cutting corners I mean they truly have given me every single tool to succeed and to um you know one be the distiller that i am but also the ability to create the products that i create i mean working with nancy fraley and understanding and still learning because it's a whole nother deal um blending and nosing and uh picking the right barrels and understanding when to pick them and the slow water reduction process which is literally a a key core value of us um i mean learning from her and taking some of her classes and continuing to talk to her on a weekly basis we talk every single week um i mean truly grateful for that and uh to to mentor her and uh, mike delavante just learning that column and uh all all his totally different approach to things um you know and just having him one phone call away is is really remarkable yeah I'm truly grateful for it it's uh it's a hell of an experience learning from people like that <laughs> as i say it sounds like y'all have quite quite the team down there and my last question it can be for for chris or john or both uh what's next for still austin because i'm guessing you're not stopping at just two-year-old uh, uh bourbons um it sounds like you have a few others in mind what can you say on air that you feel comfortable with that's recorded <laughs> <laughs> um, John, do you, do you mind if uh, you talk about the distillery reserve for just a minute? And then maybe I'll mention some things that may come out later this year and next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our distillery reserve series is uh, exclusively just at the distillery um, products that are very uh, limited or, or one-off barrels um, that we have. Um, the one that we did previously was a Rye 100 finished in a sherry cask. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, the next one that we have coming up is, to me, and uh, personally to me, it's it's got to be the most important barrel um, that I've put away. If I'll put a, I'll give you a funny Nancy Fraley story um, in a second, but it's the first six barrels of rye bourbon ever produced. Um, and then I pulled uh, a little bit of bourbon out of each one because we did use them for the one year, but I salvaged some of it 
um, and put the first six barrels all in a new barrel. So I double oaked it and now it's three years old. Um, and that, that's uh, something that I'm really looking forward to. It, it's really incredible. It's a uh, cash strength, 109 proof. Um, so that that's uh, that's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And the, the Nancy Fraley story, she she's a straight shooter and she will like <laughs> totally tell you how she feels like 100%. Um, and I was terrified when I first met her. So I'm like, oh boy, you know, I put away some stuff. I was working here for probably like three months and I'm like, man, I really hope she likes this stuff. Um, and we did some weeded bourbon in the beginning and, um, weeded bourbon just tends to take longer. It's a really good product, but, um, nonetheless, it takes much longer to age than rye. And, um, she was trying everything and, you know, our goal was to put out something younger cause we, we haven't sourced anything and, you know, um, looking to put something out to excite the public. And, uh, she wasn't really having it for that, for that part of our goal um and i had literally just a super sack of rye and uh i'm like i'm gonna make a rye bourbon just gonna try it you know make a rye bourbon i made one at black dirt i'll make one here um and i fell on that mash bill of 70 white corn 25 rye five malted barley and i put away one distillation of it we were originally going to be doing weeded bourbon and um she's like is that all you have you know and like we were talking I'm like yeah that I'm like you know I do have one thing I'm like if you just want to try this one thing and uh she's like what is it I'm a, a rye bourbon she's like oh I'm a, I'm a big rye gal I love I love rye <laughs> stuff I'm like all right so uh I pull it and at that point it was only a month old and uh she I'll never forget it. she tastes it and her eyes just like light up and she's like this is what you need to be doing she's like this is how you're going to be able to get to where you want to get um you know this, and i remember chris seals was like walking by and the other owners i'm like i'm like you just want to let him know that you know like we totally switched the gear and uh did did rye bourbon from there so i mean that that barrel is just very monumental to me um and very important to me so i'm, I'm really excited for that release I believe like what she said at the time too is that other stuff that you're making it's just not going to be that special it's going to be like yeah. or something like that yeah. Just yeah. Really, yeah. You know, like well i don't you know it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> um yes so the distillery reserve series is a wonderful series where john and his team uh, we challenge them to take the next step and, uh, and, and, and we make the best that we can make every day, but they can take it a step further uh, with the distillery reserve. Um, uh, later this year, we're going to have a, uh, we're going to have the music, the musician in cask strength. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, that look, look for that on the shelves. Uh, she, uh, that artwork, spectacular, um, uh, very, uh, uh, very very nice uh work from mark uh again uh and uh won't say too much about about her but uh, uh she looked quite nice and uh the the cast strength is just absolutely spectacular it's delicious uh it's going to be a very limited release uh so if you see it buy it because uh it's only going to be out we're going to have a little bit that comes out around uh father's day and a little bit maybe at the beginning of the fall 
Um, and then next year we have our 100% rye whiskey, which uh, there's a lot of rye whiskeys out there, not a lot that are 100% rye, and the flavor is spectacular. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I think you're going to really enjoy uh, tasting it when it comes out. Um, uh, but that's a couple things to kind of watch for from Still Austin, and I think we'll probably have a couple of other things that will come down the pike as well. Uh, well, maybe that's the greatest thing about a whiskey distillery is that everything takes a long time, and uh, uh, so you, you plant a lot of seeds, and we'll get to harvest those, uh, you know, uh, in in uh, years and decades ahead of us. Well, well, Chris, John, I, I can't wait to see what you guys put out next because, like I said. I really enjoyed the musician, um, and for a two-year-old, that's something that that's saying something. And I can't wait to see what happens next when it gets a little bit more age, and and what other other products you put out. Because, like I said, that one's uh, one that everyone should give a try. And and I really appreciate y'all taking the time to chat. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Really nice talking to you. Wonderful meeting you, and uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, a big fan, and uh, appreciate it very, very much. Yes, absolutely. We'll have to do it again sometime. For sure, for sure. Uh, it was an absolute blast. The pleasure to talk with Chris and John of Still Austin. Uh, they, they're doing some amazing things down there. Can't wait to see what, what comes out down the road. And, you know, it's, it's only a two-year-old bourbon, but it acts way more mature than that. It is worth the try. Um, anytime you get something that acts a little more mature, think about it, your kids, if they're doing good things, uh, that's always a, a positive, and it's the same with bourbon and whiskey as well. Uh, as I always say, if you can, give it a try. Also, you need to check out our partners in crime, One Sip Beer Review. They're on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review and Facebook as well. They do near daily beer reviews, some amazing giveaways, and they have a whole lot of fun. That's One Sip Beer Review on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, like I said, don't forget to check out our Give It a Try highlights. They drop on Sunday nights on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And you know what? You also need to check us out on TikTok because that's where we're at now as well. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Spirits, all one word. Because, you know, why not? Why not? You never know what fun things we might be doing over there on TikTok. We got a fun one next week for you, Ballast Point. Talk to their uh, research and development team on some new beers. That's a real fun chat. Learn a lot there. Uh, until then, cheers, everyone.